welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing, on lead vocals and acoustic guitar, it's Woody Guthrie. One of the most iconic singer-songwriters in American history, Woody was born in Oklahoma, came of age in the Great Depression, and spent years singing songs about workers and public infrastructure to whomever would listen. And today, we're, we're going to learn all about his life fighting cyclones, telling fortunes, and very politely hitchhiking in his memoir, Bound for Glory. Yeehaw. But first, let's introduce our own guests from This Might Be a Podcast, the only podcast covering There Might Be Giants song by song. It's Greg Simpson. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, you, you botched it even after we talked. About- oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> They might be giants. Hey, if you're going to be coming on my podcast podcast? later. This might be a podcast? Yes. This this might be a podcast. Did you say they might be a podcast? This might be a podcast. They might be giants. What did I say? They might be. You said there might be giants. God damn it. Which will be funny to (laughs) any of my podcast listeners when they hear it. It it, We should just pretend it was on purpose. It's only because we said this, they, and there so many times before we we started. (laughs) Or maybe I was just slurring there. That y'all turned around. We're in a zone. They all might be giants. As uh, Woody, y'all, y'all might be giants. As, as Woody Guthrie might have might have said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I got to be honest with you guys. I, I'm probably going to get a little emotional uh, during this episode, uh, listening to tales about this kind man going around singing beautiful little ditties about bridges and <laughs> trains, yeah, and bridge <laughs> and dams and and just Workers. the hardworking people of America. Yeah. Just, just trying, trying to sing a good song about the good people here. I, I, I mean, I'm excited, but I guess I'm trepidatious for us because this is going to tug on my heartstrings. You're getting a little yeah. missy already. I am. I am. He, I, he's, he's a, so goddamn likable. Yeah, so likable. Wow. Uh, but Greg, you brought uh, Woody to us. This was your suggestion. Um, what is your history with Woody Guthrie? What brought you to this book? Uh, why do you love it? Uh well, I believe what brought me to Woody Guthrie is probably. Um, with a lot of people when they were a kid learning the song, this land is your land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I am a elementary music teacher. Oh, and yep. And I, uh, have performed that with kids as well as, but I, I always tell them about what the song really means, but we do it for <laughs> veteran. We do it for veterans day anyway. And uh, wait, um, do, you, do you have to, is this still a staple of elementary school classes where you have to endure the, the squall of like 30 to 40 elementary school students playing this land is your land through like shitty plastic recorders. <laughs> that this song is way too hard for an elementary schooler to learn on recorder. First. Yeah, you there's know, way we, too many we, notes. The recorders. Yeah. Recorders. We stick to like, you know, like, Oh, to joy is the hardest. Hot cross buns. Yeah. Hot cross man. buns, yeah. These well, are the, hot cross buns for starting. These are right. the, if, the, the <laughs> monster ballads of recorder. Yeah. Right. The if you can get up recorder. to, when the saints go go marching in, that's that's when you know you've made it. Recorder, <laughs> um, but no, it's more like I'd play my guitar and we'd sing it, um, that kind of thing. Nice. And I do a lot of other Woody Guthrie songs. And since I became a music teacher, which was two thousand three, wow, um, I've learned more and more songs. And he wrote a lot of songs for his own kids. I uh-huh. mean, really, I think Woody as a whole, he wrote songs for people that he felt were important, mm. or mm. Um, and those included his children. And his, yeah, and um, 
So there's a lot of songs, like I do uh, the car song quite a bit, where you get to make engine sounds and old, old-timey old car horn, awoogas. Awoogas. And uh, there's a song I, I do a lot around Valentine's Day called Mail Myself to You, <laughs> about basically like wrapping yourself up in wrapping paper and jumping in the mailbox to... The, that, of course, the uh, yeah. precursor to... Uh, the gift by Velvet Underground, the uh, song about mailing your <laughs> yeah. hornily mailing yourself to your girlfriend for her, only for her to stab you with a that pair of scissors. Ends, and, yeah, <laughs> that one ends like a lot more tragically. Version. In 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 Woody's uh, one, after they take you out of the mailbox and unwrap you, they've they pour you full of ice cream sodies. So you're gonna have a root beer float oh, at the end gosh. of this one. It's a lot, be- a lot better ending. I'm again, close to tears. <laughs> so. So, and then I think like, you know, like most college kids, I got into Dylan and then you, so it was kind of being a music teacher, you know, at like 21 and also kind of going backwards from like the college staples to like what influenced them. And, uh, Woody comes up like immediately, you know, you, you, you start thinking you're getting into cool stuff in college and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I, I listen to Dylan, but I'm really into the band now. You know, <laughs> oh, yes. they, they used yep. to, you know. And, and then, but then like, you're like, okay, well, who did, you know, Dylan wanted to be Guthrie. And like, to me, like Dylan was super cool. And this is the guy that Dylan thought was super cool. Yes. And so then I started getting into uh, more of his, I get, you know, his songs for adults and uh, social commentary and hearing all these like talking blues and stuff that Dylan just like completely ripped off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And just being like. Damn, you know, like Dylan is like revered by pretty much any music critic. And this is the guy that Dylan was basically like, I'm going to be this guy. Like this is, I'm going to do this. Right. (laughs) He he took his skin off and wore it, wore it like a suit. (laughs) Yeah. So I've had like the kind of dual relationship with Woody Guthrie stuff where I get to use it work and play. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I guess, I guess that about sums it up. I love it. Great. Chris, what are your feel? We know we you, you like workers and trains and songs about them. Uh, yeah, more, any, more, any songs about, more songs about builders and dams. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't spent too much time with the uh, actual source material, but it's some something that I, I know that I implicitly like. I, I am kind of like generally interested in that kind of whole folkways revival. I, mm-hmm. I guess I'm more interested in the history of the transition from the original like uh, blues folk uh, bluegrass traditions of America into the modern pop music than I am specifically into Woody Guthrie. Yeah. So I find the, um, and this is all, I've mentioned this on the show before, uh, you know, for my uh, fascination with the history as unfolded to me and perfecting sound forever. The, the book about music recording kind of the, um, the archivist movement in the twenties, thirties and forties to kind of capture mm-hmm. these folk uh, traditions and the making available of those early recordings of you know the first ever recording of actually popular music in a time when that meant like the music that people would go around to villages and towns and places and play for the people uh into a kind of actual commercial pop music and i know that uh woody is one of the the linchpin characters of of that transition and of the like i guess final generation of popular unrecorded music before all popular music had to be recorded. So I guess I, I, I guess my fascination or my interest in him has mostly been uh, anthropological. Uh, yeah. Although I know sure. it's only from lack of me sp- actually spending the time with his songs that I'm not a true, true blue, blue uh, you know, died in the wool Woody Guthrie fan because everything I hear about him and everything I hear him say, 
I'm like, yes, this is this is good and right, and mm. I wish more was like yeah. this. You, you yeah. stand. Yeah. I stand. I stand. A, a popular musician. <laughs> I don't a think you'd be familiar musician. with that. Yes. I don't think you'd be familiar with that term. No, I, 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 I don't think he would love it. But I think he would understand it if you were like, oh, there was this popular song that this uh, <laughs> ly- this 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 rhyming lyricist made about a, uh, somebody who is, you know crazy enough obsessed with a musician that he'd kill somebody for it and, and Woody'd be like oh yeah I know three songs like that yeah I, I think Woody would rhyme something like he he would stand for the union man oh yeah like right <laughs> there, uh, there's power in a union we, we stand a union we stand a union mm-hmm. uh, Molly <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I hadn't honestly known a ton about Woody Guthrie period other than like almost thinking of him kind of like a Paul Bunyan, more like a, like a tall tale dude. <laughs> Maybe more of a Johnny Appleseed. Maybe more of a Johnny Appleseed. Was Paul, what, was Paul Bunyan problematic or something? <laughs> no, but, but Johnny Appleseed, you know, wandered villa, like place yeah, to place friend. spreading Planting. seeds and those seeds grew and yeah, other things. Very you know. constructive guy. Yeah. I guess I, I just think about him in, in the sort of all Paul mythical. Paul Bunyan is canceled. Paul Bunyan is canceled. Well, I'm like, well, <laughs> what did big, Paul Bunyan do? Things. <laughs> Wait, he's just big. He's just a big uh, guy. Anti-environmentalist. Chop down trees. Lumberjack. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No. This uh, this doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. So I I feel like I that's how I know Woody Guthrie is like that kind of mythical Americana figure, and I haven't really yeah. dug into the like the meat of the music, and I knew a little bit about the history and like you know we've we just did um uh, Jeff Tweedy's uh, memoir a little while ago. Jeff Tweedy actually one. recorded. Uh, some of Woody Guthrie's lyrics into music. So I feel like I'm like vaguely familiar, but this is the first time I ever got into the actual events of Woody Guthrie's life. And boy, they are interesting. <laughs> and he writes about them very well. Sorry, my dog is... I, I like that. It adds a little verisimilitude. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, should, we, should we dig into Woody's yeah, story? Let's dive into Woody. We, we start not... Not in media res, whatever the in ending res is, we we start there. Yeah. We start at the end, uh, where Woody's riding in a uh, boxcar with a bunch of other dudes. Uh, in the early for the war has just broken out. The World War Two that is, mm. um, you know, war, war war has begun. War has begun. Mm-hmm. Um, he he says that he's in a crazy boxcar on a wild track headed 60 miles an hour in a big cloud of poison dust due straight to nowhere. <laughs> it's actually due to Chicago. <laughs> They're going to Chicago. Um, but he, he basically regales the uh, reader with a, this, a, a recounting of this fight that breaks out with all of these guys who are riding in the boxcar. Um, they're arguing over things like who can plant a, a row of corn straighter. Um, there's like guys who are lighting cement dust on fire to play a game of hot foot <laughs> for sleep dudes who are asleep. I'm glad immediately, like literally every cartoon depiction of a hobo is, is absolutely true. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just men arguing about work and um, drinking wine and eventually like a, a real big fist fight breaks out and Woody and a friend basically. They all turn into a cloud of smoke with just fists and boots uh, occasionally. hundred percent. At one point he says like, it sounds like everyone's getting their shirts and pants ripped off of them. <laughs> like it's, it's just crazy in there. And then he... Um, he almost falls out of the boxcar. He manages to get on top of the boxcar. And so he's riding on the top of a train with a thunderstorm bearing down on him. He has to like tie his shirt around his guitar. And he's like, I'm going to, he's like, how did I get here? <laughs> you may ask yourself. <laughs> you may ask yourself, why am I going to Chicago riding on the top of a train? 
Um, so that's he just he really kicks it off with a bang. Yeah. And he's an incredible storyteller, incredible evoker of, you know, uh, different like uh, accents and dialects. Like he's he, it's really masterful. It's kind of crazy how good he is at and he's he, he getting specific actually wrote this himself. I believe so. Yeah. You, you need to at least like look at some pages here and see the way this is written because it is written. It's Let me pull it up. The way for you. people talk. Yeah, it's 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 it you have to shift your brain into you know, 80 years ago uh, in yeah, or longer depending on what part of the story. Uh living in Oklahoma and how you'd talk yeah. and that's how he writes it. Yeah. And it's very hard at first. It's re- I found it jarring to uh um to get used to for sure and then I kind of like got in the flow of it. Um that's interesting then that this isn't I've never heard this cited as literary praise because honestly, that's the kind of thing that would, if somebody nails being able to like seamlessly integrate several regional dialects into actual prose is usually something that's like, Oh, this should, this is like a great American novel. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like Mark. Yeah, exactly. It's like Mark Twain in a way where you have to kind of really immerse yourself in it. And like, this is how people are talking. You get used to their lingo. I mean, it would be like if you went back in time to, you know, to, Oklahoma in nineteen twelve and he was born and like you're like listening to people talk and you're like, wait, like for a couple of days you'd be like, I've no idea what you people are saying, but yeah. eventually you'd you'd get used to it. And that's how it kinda happens, you know, a few pages into the book. And that's why this is this book is so great. I was talking to my wife about this. Um, cause she hasn't read it. I mean, she's a she's a Spanish literature professor. She reads books for a living essentially yeah. and writes books. And but she hasn't, you know, she's she's talking about making time for this over the summer. It's just so great because it's it's an autobiography, but it's not like so. I was born, and then this happened, and this happened. Then I learned the guitar, and then this. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's like telling about his life like through stories and kind of like everyday kind of stories, but they're not our everyday. Yeah, so they're very interesting. <laughs> there's there's also such a um, God. What is the word that Shanti Collins used for those horror scenes? Oh, monolithic. Yeah, a, a sense of like a monolithic symbology and and ominousness about the American West and, and Midwest in mm-hmm. uh, the Great Depression, where it's mm-hmm. like vast empty plains, huge caravans of migrants, you know, these freight trains during a thunderstorm, like all, all of the imagery of that time, I find um, so very haunting because things there are like still relatively new, like the the train lines and the farmsteads and stuff, but they're even the town ta- I was looking up, even the town that Woody Guthrie was born wasn't incorporated until like five years before he was born. Yeah, so everything's mm-hmm. very new and very fragile and already being destroyed and and usually very isolated. I, I just find all of the imagery that this time evokes very, uh, uh, you know, again, mono- monolithic. Well, know? I think it's funny that you, you bring that up in that way because I feel like that's at least, you know, uh, Greg, you said you, te- you teach Woody Guthrie songs to kids. The imagery I feel like we generally grow up with in America is like immediately pioneers, people going west, people like starting new shit. Like that's kind of like I was a little house on the prairie reader. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I think a lot of children's books, a lot of like children's media kind of covers this. A uh, weird, fragile time. Yeah. Um. So it's familiar. It's familiar, even as familiar. it is like kind of jarring. Sorry, Shanti Collins's uh, term is monumental. Monumental. You horror. know, uh, the kind of a uh, uh, lone house on a vast plain. Uh, you know, a train 
it, you know, uh, approaching the the horizon yeah. into a thunderstorm, like imagery. Like Wikipedia yeah. actually has a picture of Woody Guthrie's childhood home uh, taken in 1979, so it's all dilapidated. But uh, that's pretty crazy that there's a picture of his house, a guy that was born that long ago. Yes. Yeah. Also, the I like um the the Christina's world painting with the like the Wyeth with the girl just like sitting in the in the field with a little house in the background. Yeah, that kind of shit. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yes, it's great. Um, it's intense. Okay, so let's we can go back to Woody's childhood. And you're right, like he, it's not like he says, "Oh, you know, I was a precocious child, uh, full of uh, full of curiosity right. and always bugging my mom." He just like tells stories about how he actually did that. Which you yeah. know, the books I read for this podcast characterization is usually done way more in the former than in the latter. So like this was really refreshing. Um, so he was he was born in o- Okima, o- Okima, Okima, uh, Oklahoma. His father's job um, is, I guess, vaguely land sales. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of land mm, mm-hmm. and people got to buy yep. it. People got to sell it. Um, and also country. he gets in a lot of fist fights. His father, um, he's just sort of a public town fighter, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, and they're like middle class until there's uh, his family's fortune basically changes when his house burns down when he's like six. Uh, and it was like a nice house and then they move into not as nice of a house and they're, you know, they, it's from there, they kind of like move downward in, uh, s- downwardly mobile in society. Similar yeah. origin story to immediate previous guest, Felix Biederman. Oh yeah. Oh, is that what, that's one of his, um, his things. Yeah. His house burned down when he was, uh, when he was like about that age. Well, let me tell you, it seems traumatizing as And fuck. again, and again, monumental. Monumental. I think what's more traumatizing is happens to his happens to his mom after. Yes, and so the town, so his mother, you can tell Woody has a lot of like soft feelings for his mom. His mom is like it, the town already is spreading rumors that she set the fire mm. to the house, mm. and like there's rumors that she's basically like an insane person, mm. and of course, insane in the 1910s obviously means mm. something a bit different than it does now. Um, so they might say she's hysterical or something like that. Sure, uh, right. not she was not a woman right too. Head. So yeah. yeah, right, exactly. So um, there's like kind of a sense of this trouble that intensifies a bit later. Um, but he, so like he. He's definitely aware of his his change in fortunes, his family's change in fortunes from having nice things to having not as nice things. Um, he is he basically just makes up songs at a really early age, and he just tells these ridiculous kind of picaresque stories about his idyllic, even as as it is incredibly scrappy childhood, like, and often uh, like very dangerous childhood, like getting stuck in a pickle pickle barrel trying to steal pickles, that kind of thing. Doesn't he get stuck in a tree? Is that yeah? He gets stuck in a tree. The- because yeah, he so climbs, there's that. <laughs> yeah, he climbs and he gets stuck in a tree. Um, climb, climb too high. His mom, his mom offered like a bunch of dimes to a bunch of kids if they could get him out of the tree, <laughs> and the kids basically <laughs> form this like, uh, like workers union of like the, he start, he refers to the main guys like the foreman who like organizes the you know they get the rope and they you know pull him out of the tree. What is it? The, the main foreman of the gang told Mama, "All right, your worrying days is over. Keep your britches on. That kid will live to be a flat hundred. We we ain't never dropped a kid yet, and this is the first time we ever got paid a dime for not dropping one." <laughs> and what oh, he praises them so as good. regular tree unhangers. <laughs> it's so it's so precious. 
You're yeah. not gonna find this in Slash's autobiography. No, now, Slash right? is like just getting getting drunk and eating soup from an early age. <laughs> um, there's also an interlude where he, uh, oh gosh, he he basically ends up in a horse and buggy full of dynamite, <laughs> riding at full speed toward a barn full of machine farm machinery. <laughs> <laughs> because his cousins I think it's his cousins her, his cousins are assholes and um, they like they start kicking his ass and he screams because he's being punched and the horses yeah. hear him scream and they like take off and his grandma says stop them horses god almighty there's a hundred sticks of dynamite in that buggy <laughs> why I don't know I love I love to be around my di- dynamite and grandma <laughs> Grandma sounded real, really handy, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just such, it's such a different time. I mean, I know I listened to the episode that uh, previous to this, the oldest autobiography you did was uh, uh, Louis, Armstrong, Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong. Yes. Yeah. So I listened to that one. I'm huge. I mean, I do a whole um, Black History Month unit with my kids where we cover, with my fifth and sixth graders where we cover, you know, like 150 years of, you know, African-American influence. Yeah. On, Music, which is essentially everything except country music. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, Louis Armstrong is, I mean, honestly, if I had to name, like, my the top five, like, influential musicians of the 20th century, Louis Armstrong would be first. Yeah. And Woody, Guth- Woody Guthrie would be second. Yeah. And you yeah. might get to, like, Elvis and the Beatles and Michael Jackson or whatever. But <laughs> but but as far as, like, their the reach of their influence, mm-hmm. like, those two are, de- are definitely up top. Yeah, and so I'm I'm kind of obsessed with with Louis Armstrong too. So that was one of the one of the early episodes of years I checked out. Yeah, and that um, was again like just being blown away by these yeah, strange just, details of what life was like, where you just you would take a bath in a bucket or you took yeah, laxatives just, just all like, the time, like a feral a feral child basically. Like, uh, yeah, I mean both of them. Um, you know, uh, Louis Armstrong was born you know before. Yeah, Woody. yeah. Um, but- but yeah, so just like it's hard for us to imagine that time and especially being in a place like Oklahoma where it's so just spread out. I mean, I am from the Midwest, but I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Like my mm. childhood was like, you know, I could, you know, run 20 feet and I'm in my neighbor's yard. You know, this is like it's like the wide open plains and like it's almost like, you know, yeah, there are no cell phones, let alone phones, like, and the parents are busy doing whatever, yeah. you know, working yeah. hard, and it's just like, just go out and amuse yourself, kid, and then shit happens. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, that, you know, that you're is... lucky that any of these kids live, you know, to see adulthood. Yeah. They're well, just surrounded by, like, incredibly dangerous stuff, and they do dangerous stuff, and it's just, that's just life. And it's fun as hell. It's extremely fun. Uh, and that is the, uh, uh, the other similarity between these, is that in addition to, like, the danger, the precarity, so far, at least, and I'm sure that this continues, this sense of almost like cartoon like comedy between Louis yes. like Louis Armstrong and this is consistent. And I you know, I think that that is a strong essential part of especially the early twentieth century poor American outlook. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, of like this 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 almost humored cockeyed like, you know, obviously these people are affected by like forces outside of their control about what their situations are uh, and the, like, you know, what their class arrangement is. But there, there is this kind of overwhelming sense of, oh, geez, Chucks, how'd I end up in this situation? Kind of yeah. like 
She yeah. Wilkers. Yeah, like comedy haplessness about them that that is interesting. Yeah, no. So the only thing I'll say just in regards to the the comedy aspect of of all of this is that the, later in the book, Woody says he says there's a stage of hard luck that turns into fun, and a stage of poverty that turns into pride, and a place in laughing that turns into fight. Oh I love my that. god, that's so. He rules. just, that I mean, rules. this is why his songs are awesome and you both should get into them because this, the, the book, it makes exact sense when, if you're into his music and you read the book, you're like, yeah, no duh, it's an awesome book. He wrote it. <laughs> and if you read this book, you read this book and then you listen to his song, it's like, yeah, no duh, the songs are awesome. I mean, this dude just, he lived and he, he, he meant what he sang. Like, yeah. this was not fluff to him. I yeah. mean, even the kids songs, he was writing them for a reason. Yeah, and you you can hear the the earnestness uh, in every every second of his songs, uh, the ones that we, we I mean we were listening to a, a little bit before we started recording. You can hear hear him, you know. There's 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 no separation between him and the songs. It's yeah. just like him he walks and, it, right, yeah, walks yeah. it like he talks it. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that happen in his childhood, he um he gets caught in a cyclone with his dad. <laughs> Um, just like uh, a, la, a la twister they strap themselves to a pipe and there's the eye of the twister rips the shed off over them or is it wasn't there in king of the hill where, didn't they uh yes. hank and um uh, yeah. bobby are out there like it's just like that and hank holds on to a, a a telephone pole until the stripper the the <laughs> twister strips his uh clothes off yeah yeah no it's just it's exactly like that um, when when he's safe in a cellar, he says he he drifted off to sleep thinking about all the people in the world that have worked hard and it had somebody else come along and take their life away from them. Oh my god! Because they're living at this, it, it's it's constantly it's cyclones, it's fire, it's like dust. the ele- the dust. There's just it's elemental yeah. warfare against human beings, right? Where kind of everything in in life is telling you that you shouldn't even exist yeah. and they're yeah. yet they are Humans should not yeah you should not have moved here and yet <laughs> and yet <laughs> here you are yeah. there yeah. might be oil in them our hills yeah. well there so there is oil in, yeah. in them them hills so uh they, they blow hills, some oil <laughs> yes right they blow some oil it becomes a, a boom town uh and it sounds absolutely wild um what he says that it's, it gets the craziest on election day because that's when ev- everyone who goes around sort of electioneering ends up in a fist fight. Because yeah, they're all just fighting in the streets and like money is just being passed out to like itinerant workers to show up at polls in various places yeah. and stuff like that. It's it's anarchy. <laughs> sure. Uh, he joins a gang of youths, a youth gang that have a gang house, and then he leaves. Does he the get gang. a gang nickname like Slim? <sighs> You know, I think he Knuckles. might just be Woody. Or, Woody's already yeah, pretty Woody, cool. Yeah, that's yeah true. I think I think Woody yeah. Woody does. Um, Is Woody short for anything? <laughs> Woodrow, because he's named after Woodrow Wilson. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. 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 He's not named after the Toy Story character. I'm no. sorry. No, the Toy Story character is named after this- him. <laughs> <laughs> well, is the Toy Story character named after Woody Guthrie or Woodrow Wilson? I I mean, Guthrie's more of a cowboy. If if yeah, he's yeah. In a, you know, he wasn't a straight up cowboy, but he was more like a cowboy than the president. True. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> in, in terms of the originator of Woody as a cowboy name, I would I would say Woody Guthrie <laughs> over over the Princeton educated uh, <laughs> professor president Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> Um, 
the yeah, so he, he joins this gang. He leaves the gang when the gang rules are not fair. He joins a new gang, which is like kids who are newer to town. And then they spend like a good number of pages engaging in this crazy war, a gang war that involves literal <laughs> slingshots flinging flaming hot rocks back and forth. It sounds like these kids are getting incredibly injured doing all of this stuff. But like slingshot injured. But it's it's hot rocks. Still. It's hot. Man, They're it's literally like, building like fires. And burns. They're building fires in fields and heating up rocks and then flinging them at one another. Are they wearing handkerchiefs <laughs> over their faces at the, the, at their nose, you know, bandit style? I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> one would assume. But it, it was the story is told with the, you know, the detail of a it's a it, it sounds like real war the way the way Woody's talking about it. Um, yeah, this is a serious. Uh, this isn't just some regular uh, schoolyard uh, scuffle. Yeah, no, it's a, it's very intense. Um, the the kids uh, in Woody's gang are referred to as the Boomtown Rats, and I was like, that sounds familiar. Where have I heard that before? And it turns out that the band, the Boomtown Rats, pulled it directly from this book. Amazing, mm-hmm. isn't that kind of cool? Yes. I'm like, yeah, that is catchy. Um, yeah. What else? Okay, he gets into a very high-profile fist fight with um, noted town fist fighter Big Jim because I guess if you're named <laughs> Big Jim, that's you got to be a fist fighter. And also, fight. all, other way around, if you're named, if you are a fist fighter, you got to be big. Yeah, be big whoever. something. Well, I think Big Jim first might have fought Little Jim, but then so Woody Woody's dad is a famous fighter. Everyone knows, like he's a brawler. He's a brawler. He's a scuffler. Um, a shot caller. So Woody gets called after Big Jim is in, already in one fight. Everyone's like, Woody can fight him. And he kind of feels obligated to do it. And so he gets into this fight with him and he said, I kept my fist sailing to and from Jim's head without even a let up. It was a fistic sweatshop and with <laughs> and with low pay. I wasn't mad at Jim. I was mad at the men who started the fight, at the kids who had been taught to yell for it. I was throwing my fist at Big Jim, but I was really fighting these crazy notions that folks get and keep in their heads. He was fighting another man, but he was really fighting ideology. <laughs> <laughs> Little Woody. Uh, okay, so that's that's like his childhood. Um, that's kind of, he describes that as, I think, maybe the more uh, idyllic or at least kind of fun and crazy. You know, the, part, the parts where he was in fist fights. <laughs> yeah. Shooting yeah. <laughs> uh, fire rocks at each other. Yeah, very exciting. Enough for this lighthearted stuff. Yeah, well, so things get, they get pretty dark for Woody. Um, his sister dies in a fire related accident she basically just like gets super super burnt and dies um which obviously like breaks his parents heart and then um money kind of dries up his father ironically or not i don't know why he chooses this particular thing to sell but he sells fire extinguishers door to door (laughs) in order to get by which seems incredibly dark considering that his daughter died in a fire then another fire well, happens. I mean, in his I house. guess I assume that he would have a passionate sales pitch about it, right? Sure, yeah. But no one, Don't no let one your daughter it. die. Yeah, <laughs> there, I was gonna say. Yeah. The, I guess Dark. it's no better salesman than he. Um, another fire happens in the fucking Guthrie house, and his father gets pretty badly injured from fighting it. And it's kind of implied that his mom might have set this fire as well, and then she's basically sent away to an insane asylum. Um, and where she eventually dies. So she has Huntington's disease, which is like a degenerative uh, genetic disease that basically you lose control of your motor functions and you sort of exhibit dementia. So that's what she actually oh. had um, and what Woody eventually had and what he eventually died of. So 
and um, what some of his daughters died of as well. Yeah, it's a it's a terrible terrible genetic disease. But they didn't understand that at the time at all. They barely understood it when Woody had it. Right. So to his mom, everyone was just like, "Oh, she's crazy, and we don't know why. Let's send her away." Mm. Um. So terrible stuff, and it breaks his family completely apart. So his father moves to Texas. Um. Woody stays in Okima. He's 14 years old, and he's completely on his own. He sleeps in his old gang house alone <laughs> um, mm-hmm. with nothing but like a, a sack of junk to try to go through like li- a garbages literal, a to literal, sell the like junk. A bindo? Yeah. Bindle? Like yeah. hobo bindo? Yeah. Bindle? Pretty much, yeah. Um, and th- so this is that's kind of the last time he had what seems like a stable life. And from then on, he is like constantly on the move going all over the country so he goes, his father moves has to- he, uh, yes. Has he picked up a guitar by this time? Um, not yet. He's about to. When he goes to Texas, <laughs> Yeah, it's like learns. half the book before they even- Yeah. I mean, well, at the beginning when he's on the in the boxcar, you know, he has his guitar yeah, and everyone's guitar. calling him, they're calling him Guitar Man and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah. But, but yeah, then when it goes back to childhood, like it goes a very big chunk of the book just kind of talking about life. Speaking of him also, getting I, asked to play songs, I feel like it was a time when it was like- cool to be the guitar guy i feel like now yeah. it gets made fun of as like anyway here's wonderwall <laughs> yeah, but there was true. no entertainment then They're like it wasn't like people were listening to their effing walkman they were they're like yeah play the song i'm so bored there's no speakers yeah. there's nothing so you, you see a guy pick up a guitar you're like wait you know how to play that i haven't heard a song in like six weeks <laughs> yeah yeah just been going acapella all this time i mean yeah. come on you know, I'm, here. <laughs> I'm tone deaf. I suck at this. Like, if you're any good, uh, let her uh, let her rip, man. Also, uh, uh, <laughs> to just to insert a, a, a joke back about all those uh, fires. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it really seems like this area that they're in is uh, in the late 1920s in Oklahoma is prone to fire. It seems very dry. It seems like it might be getting kind of dusty. It is a bit dusty, I would say, yeah. 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 I'd say it's pretty <laughs> dusty. A, a and good, good wind to just turn it into a right old dust bowl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yes, you've nailed it. Yeah. That's where that's where they are, is in the dust bowl. Yeah, there's always people asking for something to drink yes. in this book. Yeah. I'm it's so like, parched. God damn, my throat is so goddamn dry. We got Please. a lot of thirsty people. This bowl, yeah. it's so dusty. Please. <laughs> my, my family. My family. They're dusty. They're so dusty. <laughs> and they're burning up. <laughs> yeah, geez. Literally. Yeah, no, it's Repeatedly. it's quite dry. It's a quite dry situation we have here. Again, I feel like I'm going to keep coming back to this, but again, this uh, this uh, monumental Im- imagery of just like everything in his childhood getting engulfed in, in flames yeah. on these lonely prairies. Yeah. It's it's super intense. Or going insane. Going I mean, insane. there's... Yeah, it's just horrifying. awful. I can't imagine. You have these three three horrible fires, I believe. Yeah. Uh, your sister dies. Your mom gets shipped off. He finds out that she died. He, he gets a letter addressed to him because he's still back there in Oklahoma. I, th- I can't remember the exact details of why the, the letter gets addressed to him. Yeah. But it's basically like, hey, your mom died three weeks ago. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, fucking A. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. It's, oh, my God. And they, yeah, it's a, ugh, they, just a different time <laughs> where, yeah. I mean, even the well, idea of like a 14 year old kid just on their own yeah. is nuts to me, but I'm sure happened often then. Well, I, I think it also speaks to the, the, the central fact that is also like an economic reality around these people is that 
every just everyone is dislocated like like it is, mm. is impossible to like even maintain the basic structures of a of a family past like one or two traumas but also like i i don't know that it doesn't seem like that's that different honestly from today you know it's true and uh, different well, different kinds so uh he's on his own sleeping in the clubhouse with a bindle he um so he moves to texas because his father has moved to texas um where he's a manager of sort of rental uh properties um uh, Woody says it was my job to show folks to their rooms and try to convince them that they was really rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were, look, look, it doesn't have four walls, but it has a roof. That's like, that, what do you define a room as? <sighs> also, it, at this time, like the the descriptions that Woody has of what houses are like <laughs> and just the variety is, it sounds. So bizarre. Like at at one point he's in California uh, later on and just how every house is made of cardboard. And so like if it were to rain or like blow wind, it would just be like, ah, fuck. No, no my house. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Whoops. a good place to have cardboard houses is, is California because it only rains or blows wind like four or five days a year. Yeah. The, your odds are pretty good. Yeah. But cra- crazy shit. So he gets at this point, he basically he gets into painting and he learns to play guitar. He says, uh, things was starting to stack up in my head and I just felt like I was going out of my wits if I didn't find some way of saying what I was thinking. Uh, Some people liked me, hated me, walked with me, walked over me, jeered me, cheered me, rooted me, and hooted me. And before long, I was invited in and booted out of every public place of entertainment in that country. But I decided that songs was a music and a language of all tongues. Then I got a little braver and made up songs telling what I thought was wrong and how to make it right. And this has held me ever since. So that's like the that, start of his yeah, thing. That whole passage, I mean, so like I said, I was listening to the the Arlo Guthrie uh, reading yeah. of it the second time around, and hearing Arlo say it in just like the the perfect dialect and the perfect cadence, I rewound that thing several times. That particular, uh, yeah, just like just as a way to describe like why you got into music and why you make music. That just like really hit me. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, and just like this, this is gonna take me places. This is gonna get me kicked out of places. This is like, but it's what I is because I gotta do it. Yeah, he's he's called, and that uh, I mean, this has been a running theme of like the the last few episodes we've done is like that perfect filterless, like the thing in my head. It, it needs to come out in in a like one to one way. It, uh, I I can't like edit it or censor it at all you know yeah mm-hmm. and so you we were talking a little bit about just like the the musical context of what he was doing in the you know 40s i guess mm-hmm. but at this time was he essentially obviously he learned to play guitar from someone and he was con- continuing some sort of tradition that he had learned but he also seems so dislocated from any kind of like local scene or you know mu- musical movement at large he, he seems like he's just like one guy like he made total... his own scene wherever he went <laughs> he was does, the scene <laughs> does he come off as totally autodidactic in that way i mean for the yeah. kind of style well, I, that he you know he, <clears throat> i think i think the thing is is that he wasn't a musician to like get up and play a set at a bar he mm-hmm. would go to a place he would play for his own entertainment he would play for other people's entertainment and literally like entertain the workers or he'd go like he'd walk into a bar not because he's scheduled because he's got a gig that night but because like 
people are hard drinking and they're and they want to sing a goddamn song. So he yeah. would, you know, you got your guitar there. Come on, let's sing us <laughs> sing us a goddamn song. And goddamn appears in this book so many times. So many which times. I love like there's he, just so much light cursing. Uh, that just fits that that aesthetic so well. <laughs> he yeah, he was like he was traveling around so much. He never settled. Uh, I mean, I'm sure Molly's going to get to when he when he gets to New York. Yeah. Um, it, it, like he he kind of thinks he might want to get into that scene, but really, just he kind of goes all over the country and just plays music for whoever happens to be around. He's the he is the platonic ideal of the Wonderwall guy. Yeah, he's the guy with the <laughs> guitar to party that you actually want want to hear to hear. Uh-huh. But you know, but you're right. It's it's the di- difference is, sorry, is that he's 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 not the Wonderwall guy. He's his own songs guy, and every single one of his songs is about how wonderful and powerful you and the land around you are, and that he makes most of them up on the spot. It seems <laughs> like yeah. he'll just yeah. be he'll sing be us a like, song about this, and he would just do it. Yeah, he would be he'd be in like a migrant farm, uh, like an apricot farm. And like, just make up a song about apricot farming, and how you know company script is unfair or whatever. Oh, that part about so the the fruit uh, in in the book. There's part about him first going to California, and there, um, before he gets a job on the, on these uh, an apricot farm, I think, right? Yeah. And then, um, but first he's just like walking past these fences that just say, or there's these signs posted that say. Uh, you know, fruit field, not for looking, not for picking, yeah, or, yes. you know, hands off and stuff like this. And there's just fruit just rotting on the ground. And here, here he is like, if he makes like a nickel, he will go and eat something because he is fucking starving. Yeah. And here he's walking past these places where the food is just wasting away. Yeah. And it's kind of like, uh, yeah, it kind of made me think of like, like the lost verse of this land is your land mm. where basically like he... <laughs> Do you, do you guys know the the verse that nobody sings of this no, land? No, I don't think so. Uh, it's essentially that because uh, he he was a known socialist and 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 communist, uh, really, mm-hmm. um, and thought that really that people shouldn't own land. Yes, was uh, was a high wall there that tried to stop me. A sign was painted said private property, mm. but on the backside it didn't say nothing. This land was made for you and me. Love that. It's an amazing ballad to, uh, for trespassing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the back like, side, I didn't say nothing. No, I mean, that's the thing that uh, I mean, I'm interested in throughout all this is if he uh, actually, when and if he actually experiences like some kind of formal <laughs> indoctrination into some of the ideal ideologies. I mean, the whole, seemed, his whole life is, is that. I yeah, think he realizes. It, to that he's already uh, like implicitly grasping at it. I mean, even for the hearing from his... Uh, early age that he he has a keen sense of fairness and unfairness. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, the need for kind of collective support in the yeah. sense that like, so say his house burned down and basically everyone in his town kind of like turned their backs on him and his family because yeah. of what was happening with their, his mother and like in an ideal society, you would uplift and support each other. Yes. And so like when mm-hmm. he saw that that didn't happen, he probably was thinking it should. This is bullshit. <laughs> this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is bullshit. The Woody Guthrie story. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, all the, all this other stuff that's not us. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Um, yeah. So he's, yes, where he's, he learned how to play music and that becomes his, his main and, but he, you know, he paints too, which sounds like he's a pretty decent painter, but he, music is his, you know, his, his, Way of expression. Yeah, Molly, um, the one the the version that you read, I'm not sure if you're reading a book book or an ebook. Does it have Woody's illustrations in it? It does. Yes. Yeah, I love his 
his style. It's uh, great. It's almost like when you look at old political cartoons, like that yes. kind of something about that kind of like the pen stroke style of it. I I love his his self portrait. Yes, little oh, him man. with the guitar, little Woody with the guitar. It's very simple, simple yet expressive. It's like his songs. Yes. Um, where are we? So, oh, he he has an interlude in Texas where he. Uh, I feel like these are all interludes where he. So his father marries a new woman. A ma- she's a mail order bride, and she comes <laughs> yeah. in and she sets up as a psychic and a fortune teller. Uh, I think fortune teller, not psychic. And somehow he he starts subbing in for her. Like he, someone came to his house being like, where's, you know, Mary or whatever the fuck her name was. And uh, he he basically he's really good at like reading people. Sure. Um, the, he's, the tracks. Yeah. He, he, he can kind of like he's just good at he's he's a vibe. He's a viber. He's met a lot of different kinds of people. Yes, yes, exactly. So he's he's got a lot of perspective. So he'll do things like someone will come up to him and be like, uh, you know, I, I think I have all these good ideas and no one listens to me. And he responds and he says, your mind is full of inventions and the world's full of folks that need them bad. You just got to keep your mind all clear like a farm so as more inventions can grow up there. <laughs> Real basic stuff, but these people would be like, cool, here's a dollar. <laughs> and he's like, great, I really needed that. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so he eventually, he heads west to California um, because his- what, he, what, what year is this and what age is he? Mid 30s? He's California. a yeah. He was born in nineteen twelve. So, yeah, he's uh, a, he's in his early twenties, I would say, at this point. Well, he oh. was writing for a communist newspaper called People's World in uh, thirty nine and forty. Okay, this is he basically like whatever for whatever reason Texas has nothing to offer him. But here's the thing, Greg, did you notice in reading? Did he ever mention his wife in this book? Uh, n- he he <laughs> mentions a woman. Uh, he does mention a woman talking about um. Oh shit. Yeah, not not by name. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I just wanted yeah. to check because I didn't know which whether is, I was insane. Which is because a he got married in Texas and he had three children. They all died. Yeah. Two of them yep. didn't die until um the nineteen seventies, his daughters. Um, from Huntington's. From Huntington's. And then his son died in a in an automobile accident when he was uh, in his a, a teenager. Um uh, but he was married for like almost the second half of this book and he didn't mention which is a classic introducing trope of having a wife <laughs> that is that you talk never about. mentioned yeah so he basically he went to california in order to try to make money i guess to send to his family but like the family is just not i just thought he was like a single guy <laughs> but you know i usually <laughs> like to stick to the text itself but when i was reading a little supplementary history about him i was like oh my god he right. was married am i sure i didn't miss this um, yeah, but, see, that, yeah. that's that's the thing about this book, yeah. Because I was going through, just looking at like uh, the official Woody Guthrie site and some other sites and Wikipedia, yeah. and just like you know stitching together like the the cold hard facts. But that's what makes this book so good is it's like it, it leaves you wanting to find out more about him. It's not yes. just like let me lay it all out there for you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's definitely not exhaustive, and it really sticks with the themes of kind of like travel and, uh, you know, seeing the world and seeking out your fortune, but not to get rich or successful more to just live and be alive. Um, which is, which is great, but I hope, I hope his family was, was okay. okay. I imagine it was stressful, but so he wife with no surviving children. Yeah. Terrible. Um, so he, he goes to California 
and he he's riding he's hitchhiking he's riding the rails he says i saw thousands of men and could usually tell by the color of the dirt on their faces where they were from (laughs) (laughs) um and at, at this point this is when so he's like he goes without food for days at a time you know he at one point, people who he's hitching with drive away with his nice paintbrushes no. in their car. So that was his meal ticket. Um, he he basically goes around these towns as he goes through and he's begging. He's not even begging for food. He's saying, can I work for food? Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, fuck off. Uh, like priests are shutting the door in his oh, face. God. Being yeah. like, yeah. "We, you want charity? We live on charity. It's real fucking grapes of wrath hours here. Cops mm-hmm. will run you out of town just for looking like you don't have a house. Sounds vaguely familiar. Yes. Of, you know, the yes. way we still live. Mm-hmm. Um, he nearly freezes to death, like riding in a train car. And he says, it was the closest to the six by three I've ever been. Oh, <laughs> and he that's said, so great. No doubt my line of politics <laughs> took on quite a change right then and there, even though I didn't know I was getting educated at the time. There we go. So by being poor, he's learning <laughs> that it's, hey, it's not right for an entire society, especially a society that's, theoretically getting richer and richer uh, to leave people like him behind. Yeah. Um, and people like him who don't know how to play guitar to make a <laughs> random dime or Every, two. Yeah. God, just the way he phrases everything just makes you want to like, whatever he stands for, I stand for that too. Cause yeah. it's just like, yeah. I mean, just saying something like, yeah, like, like most autobiographies, it'd be like, and I almost died that night. This like, just saying like the dimensions of a coffin. Yes. This like, closer than I get like, to my six by three. That's it's like, so musical, you know. It, yes. He's a poet. It is. It's almost. This is like such a lame way to describe it, but it's like what the dialogue in like a Quentin Tarantino movie is indicating at. But it this is the mm-hmm. actual authentic Americana origin, right, of that kind of thing, and and all the you know faux Americana stuff of later that we know is just like a, a symbol pointing at that kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Like that's like a Kill Bill line, but you know it's fake when it happens in Kill Bill. And when right. you're when you hear that written in this, you're like, oh yeah, that's something that he definitely heard on the road. Right. It's something that once once like cell phones have been invented, you're like, oh no, this isn't this isn't your your life that you're living right now. You're yeah, you're referencing something that is what Woody Guthrie lived. There, I'm just briefly navigating to a a part in this that I enjoyed. That was another good like uh, political situation. Three, eight. Uh, forget it. Um, it was just a, a good, you know, another one of those worker uplifting type of statements that would have made everyone go, ah, uh, but we well, can move on. Yeah. Well, outs- I mean, yeah, I don't know how much outside of uh, the book we're going to talk about, but you know, he wrote a song about Trump's dad, right? No, <laughs> I did not know this. Uh huh. What is his uh, Trump's dad? He was I mean, Trump's dad was the actual successful businessman. Oh, you yeah. Know? And Fred, Trump just Fred wrote, Trump. wrote yes. that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's called Old Man Trump. Okay. And the first line, I suppose that Old Man Trump knows just how much racial hate he stirred up in that blood pot of human hearts when he draw that color line here at his Beach Haven family project. It's about Trump's dad creating projects in uh, oh my the God. New York area. Oh, my God. Yep. It's For- fucking unbelievable. Like... That this guy, like that, that that you can tie this to to today by just like one generation. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Trump has uh every everything in him come comes absolutely generally generationally. Trump, old man Trump was a uh a fucking tyrant landlord in New York, mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is the period or the period we're about to get to. 
Um, maybe close close to it. Oh, he so he's going to theoretically take a job with his aunt in California. Sure. He gets to his aunt's literal house. He knocks on the door and like a butler opens the door and is like, who do you want to talk to? And he's like, you know, my aunt. But then he like is peering inside and he's like, oh no, I don't want this. Like he has, he's almost frozen to death. He's been covered in dirt, literally marched out of town by cops, uh, slept under a bridge, you know, sh- shivered so his bones were rattling. And he goes to this like nice ass house. He's like, I will die. He, like I can't be here. Right. Uh, this is not the life. He's like, life is out there when even when I was mm-hmm. like hanging out with a bunch of other bums uh, getting mistreated by police. Sure. <laughs> I would prefer that to to this. So he doesn't even he doesn't even see his aunt. He just leaves. <laughs> doesn't even say like, hi. Well, I'm like, I would have at least stayed for some food. Yes. I would have tried to have a meal and then I would have dipped. Um, but Woody cannot spend a minute more in that mausoleum. So out he goes. So he toward the end of the book, he basically is he's a singer. He's a, a traveling saloon singer. But as, as you said, Greg, he, um, he's not, it's not like, Oh, I've got a gig or, Oh yes, I am practicing for my show. He just, he sings wherever he can and yeah. wants to. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone wants to hear it because he's, he's good. He's good at reading a room. He's good at, uh, kind Res- of making stuff up on the spot. Responding to the crowd. Responding to the yep. crowd. He's great at, um, he's great at with a armed serviceman. He's, he's great at whipping them up into a, a healthy frenzy. Um, He says, so at this point he says, I sung on the radio waves of Los Angeles and I got a job from Uncle Samuel to come to the valley of the Columbia River River, and I made up and recorded 26 songs about the Grand Coulee Dam. Oh my God. Um, I made two albums of records called Dust Bowl Ballads for the Victor people and I didn't have a nickel to my name. (laughs) So he's, he's finally, he's recording, he's on the radio, he's you know, doing these projects, like doing all these damn songs, um, but he's not making any 26 money. Twenty six songs about a dam is so yeah. is so wonderful. What a what a beautiful man to just like sing the praises of this this public works project. Yeah, yeah he loves the working man, and he, he he loves what he loves about America is different than like what a lot of people are flying a flag for these days. Really, yeah, you know the things that Americans can accomplish with hard work. Yeah, and and coming together and and a good a good piece of public work, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. And wait, weren't you saying that the uh, uh, Cooley Dam is one of the is the largest power generating station? I think so in America. In America, it's beautiful, That's right? Yeah. Well, the world has seven wonders that the travelers always tell. Some gardens and some towers, I guess you know them well. But now the greatest wonder is in Uncle Sam's fair land. It's that King Columbia River and the Big Grand Coulee Dam. She heads up the Canadian Rockies where the rippling waters glide. Comes a-rumbling down the canyon to meet that salty tide. Of the wide Pacific Ocean where the sun sets in the west. And the Big Grand Coulee country in the land I love the best. Um... Yeah, amazing stuff. So he's at this point he's while he's still narrating, he's writing these what eventually end up being, you know, classic Woody Guthrie songs, but he doesn't I don't think even know that they will be. Yeah, cuz he's um, writing so many songs, it's like any none of them any single one of them is like more important or like he doesn't have singles. Yeah, he doesn't. Right. <laughs> Young man, which one's the hit here? We need to know which one. What do we put on track 2 and track 3? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's, he writes about all this stuff, but it, he seems more concerned with 
again, just these sort of incidents of life that kind of shape his his perspective. There's a he's in Los Angeles. Um, I think it, shortly after Pearl Harbor has occurred, because he he what happens is he's playing in a bar. Everyone is like they're feeling very patriotic and they're ready to fight a war. Yeah, um, they're down. Everyone's down. Uh, on the street, someone whips a can of corn through a window of a Japanese-owned grocery store, oh, no. and there's a, a bunch of idiots on the street that are like, "Fuck, fuck these Japanese people! Like, let's rip their shit up and destroy them." Yeah. And Woody and his friends are basically like, no, 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 no. They are also screwed by the same, you know, they're, they're just because they're mm-hmm. Japanese doesn't mean that they are rooting for the demise of America. Yeah. Uh, let's not throw corn through their windows. And they basically, he leads people in a giant rendition of We Shall Not Be Moved, which uh, diffuses a potential riot. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I music. love. Um, and then he also has a, a little romantic interlude with a girl that he meets uh, when he's at this uh, apricot <laughs> farm. <laughs> um, he has a little little sexy time with this girl who, you know, he, he ultimately knows that he's going to be moving on and uh, playing playing songs for more people and she'll keep picking fruit, but it's a, it's a beautiful little moment. Yeah. Uh, there's a funny incident where he's auditioning to play a regular gig at the rainbow room yeah this is what i was referring to before like yes. how he doesn't really play gigs and here's like he's thinking oh well, maybe i should yeah well maybe i should this sounds like it would actually make some money and money helps me buy food let's give it a try and he just has like the worst time he play. He walks up to the stage, and they're like, "Can you prance more? <laughs> like, Can we get those hips moving? <laughs> like, we need a little bit more prance. Like, just prance a little more for us, Woody." And he's yeah. They like, start talking about like the entrance he needs to make, and like, has he ever worn makeup? Like, you're too, you know, like yeah. what kind? Are of, they like what kind of makeup do you usually wear? And he's like, "Well, none usually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm covered in dust most of the time. I don't know." <laughs> Um, they also want to, they're trying to figure well, out what I'm kind sure, of costume uh, he should wear. They're like, I think a clown costume would be oh good. God. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm well, frankly, I'm sure a thin layer of dust of dust bowl dust would help take the shine off under uh, studio lights. So maybe that's something that I should try in the future. Yeah. For a video project. Mattifying action. Yeah. With a little natural mm-hmm. dirt. Um, sure. He, the best is that. So he, obviously this, uh, this is not for him. Uh, they like him it, though. For his uh, audition, he improvises this song, he, which is, he says, it's a little tune, I guess, called New York City. And he says, uh, th- I'm just going to read the lyrics. This rainbow room, she's mighty fine. You can spit from here to the Texas line in New York City. Lord, New York City. This is New York City. And I really got to know my line. This rainbow room is, so, is up so high that John D's spirit comes a drifting by. That's Rockefeller, if, in case you didn't know. This is New York City. Yeah. She's New York City. I'm in New York City, and I really got to know my line. So he sings this like nice pro, uh, pro rock center, yeah. <laughs> uh, pro, pro Rockefeller song. Read, read in the room. And the, read in the room. And then once he decides that he this is actually not his thing, he, in the lobby, plays a, another song where he says... Hold on. Uh, old John D, he ain't no friend of mine. Old John D, he ain't no friend of mine. I'm a saying, jo- old John D, sure ain't no friend of mine. Takes all the pretty women and leaves us men behind. <laughs> um, so he's, you know, he he's not into this. He's not going to sell out to be a clown. Yeah. He's not going to wear the clown suit. 
He's a real man. He's not doesn't need to be with these fancy pants people upstairs. Yeah. No. Yeah. He wants he wants to be down with the working people. Yeah. The it's the building is too 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 tall for what he got three. Although he's excited that he can spit spit right down to the Texas line. Uh, that's that's exciting for him. Uh, by the way, that night in New York, uh, it continues on with him. You know, just playing impromptu some songs for a bunch of sailors at a bar. And then he somehow ends up in a houseboat with a 50-year-old, like, very hard-living lady who gets him drunk on a, a what sounds like moonshine mixed with coffee. <laughs> and then he's hanging out Damn. with his friend Will. Uh, and they're sitting on this barge kind of talking about life and what's next. And then the barge starts moving. <laughs> and Will, like, jumps on back onto the dock and is like, hey, Woody, like, throw me your guitar and, like, you can jump off. And Woody's like, no, I want to see where this barge is going. Yeah, he just loves an adventure. He loves an adventure. Like, we'll see what happens. I might get a couple songs out of this. I uh, like. I just <laughs> he he's really going with the flow. I just oh, there's not many people in this world. If you're sitting on first of all, who sits on a barge, and second, if the barge moves, you're like, I want to see. I'll see where it ends up. Here, see where it takes me. Wild. It's that itiner- that that early born in itinerant lifestyle. Yeah. I, I I love this guy. I just where, uh, where wherever wherever the this barge or train is going isn't going to be better or worse than here. It's just going to be different. It's bound for glory is what it is. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So the book ends where we began, where this train that is full of people who have now severely beat each other up, um, when they're riding in this boxcar, they get to Chicago. The cops show up and they're like, "What's going on here? Why is everyone all injured?" And I'm not really sure exactly how this happened, but someone comes up to the group and is like, hey, guys, just found out they're trying to build uh, Navy ships in Seattle. Uh, They need work. They need workers, workers, workers. And everyone's like, cool, let's go. And they just get on another train, including Woody Guthrie, just to like go to Seattle. They just spent an incredibly hard ride going to Chicago. He barely escapes, you know, getting thrown out of a boxcar door. And he's like, all right. Fuck it, let's go to Seattle. It and just really makes you think, like when you know, if you're in between jobs or whatever, you're like, ah, oh, God, it's, damn, the job hunt. You know, it's just so hard to yeah, get yeah. Sending so many emails, but then anonymous uh, accounts. You yeah, know. yeah. At least you don't have to move all the way across the country and leave your family for who knows how long to possibly get a job. Maybe, yeah, doing yeah. something very backbreaking. Yes, you know, <laughs> right. totally different from what you're doing now. I, they're I'm all in- excited about it. <laughs> Everyone's like, shit, yeah. Let's what do was it. I doing in Chicago? I don't know. I was going to maybe look for a job, but I heard there's a job in Seattle. Let's fight all the way there. Yeah, yeah. in the middle of the 1940s. It's just like a tremendous uh, 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 relocation. I, I'm, I'm actually impressed with the breadth of his travels. He goes all I mean, over. It, uh, it really uh, under underscores uh, how much he meant from California to the New York Islands. Oh, yeah. he saw every yeah. every last yeah. inch. He's been everywhere, man. Uh, out of a out of a train window or off yeah, a yeah. train roof, more <laughs> uh, accurately. <laughs> so, like that's that's the life of Woody as he describes it in the book. Um, there, he he leaves a lot out, and then there's you know obviously more that happens to him. But that's kind of his 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 journey. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and has a very sad ending, kind of like his his mother. I mean, it's just yeah. This, this this cycle. I mean, this is this disease is insane. Yeah, it's terrible. And 
yeah, he eventually did get diagnosed from Huntington's disease. Um, though they were, you know, they thought he was schizophrenic, like it, cause it, it literally just starts eating away at your brain. It's like yeah. your brain cells are just like, leave, you know, just like you're losing brain cells. So it changes your mood. I get it. And it probably depends on like what part of your brain is losing the brain cells. Like exactly. it's probably, it's probably like a wildly different disease for different people or like how it progresses. Like it just sounds terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's awful. So the, I guess by the late 40s, like he was um, already degenerating, degenerating, which is, I mean, you know, he made it to 1967. Yeah. That's yeah. a good thing he wrote this book when he did, because I mean, it wasn't long after that, that he really, he would not have been able to write a book. Yeah. I mean, you get, it's funny. You do get the sense that based on at least like the childhood he had, like there's no, and maybe that's why he does things like, you know, if a barge is moving, let's see where it goes, is that there's no, there's no time to get yeah what you need to do done. Um, he saw that, you know, I didn't talk about it before, but like his, his father had basically ruined the use of his hands from too much, uh, punching, um, in his heyday. And, uh, so he saw, he saw his poor father, like Punchington's disease. (laughs) Yeah. So he, like, he saw that in his dad of like the very thing that kind of gave him an identity was also what, sort of took his ability to live normally away and then what happened to his mom and his sister. So I feel like he's living, he's living like he's dying, man. Yeah, he is. So Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy how much he, he got in. Um, So I, I I have a a few like follow-up questions. Yes. Um, (laughs) Again, just wondering uh, about like kind of the explicitness of his politics. I mean, one of the most famous things that we have not about him that we have not touched upon is of course the, uh, infamous this machine kills fascists mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. sticker sign that he he often performed on his with on his guitar yeah uh which is uh, you know one of the most uh badass statements that you can put on put on uh your guitar yes um d- does he talk at all about the uh political movements and 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 oppositions and then things not explicitly like i don't I'm, think i've ever saw there there's not the word like communism for example explicitly written in the right so yeah like so even though he wrote for that like again it's just like the book as a whole like he's not yeah you're not going to find bullet points in the in in the rough draft of this like i feel like it was just kind of like a you know train of thought kind of thing where you know he's thinking about his life and things that kind of shaped him as a person yeah but he's not like then I got really into leftist politics, you know, he's right, like, right, right. you know, you know, uh, but he does talk, I mean, essentially him like leaving his aunts and him not taking the job at the rainbow room. Yeah. I mean, essentially he's talking about how he doesn't like, he doesn't like rich people. Essentially. Yeah. He, he, right. he likes people that work, not that people that have people that work for them. You know, right. he, he, he identifies with the people that do the work. Um, the people that have earned where they're at, People that are just, you know, the the real American folk, not just, not not the one percent. You know, he's yeah. yeah. He he's you know he he stands for the ninety nine. You know, he's yeah. He's he's um. So yeah, it's really just in the whole way of talking and how, uh, just yeah, like fighting you know unions, fighting against the 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 evil bosses, and uh, just you know, getting a fair, having a fair life that you've worked hard for. And it's really just like, it's the whole story is just like a tale of a working class guy. And, you know, he had to do a whole lot of odd jobs, but really his, his work, like 
I love that bumper sticker. It says, artwork is work. Yeah. Because mm. to him, yeah, like writing songs, that was, you know, he could, he could, you know, people could throw him, you know, some change and he'd be able to get, you know, get himself a, a soda pop and, you know, a piece of bread <laughs> or whatever. And then, you know, he'd move on to the next place. Like, or he always uh, share. It's, yeah. <laughs> he was yeah, always or like he'd giving share. the last right. sip of his, like, right. beer. Right. He'd see some guy next to him. Yeah. Like, this yeah. guy looks like he needs it worse than me. Like, he's just a, a working man and he, he, you know, and he and he pushed for other working men, and he wrote songs about it to kind of promote that, promote that uh, way of thinking and that, that that way of life. Yeah, yeah. And he mean, includes some details too about like race stuff, where he was just like, "I mm-hmm. don't understand why you know people are treated differently based on the color of their skin." You know, real real basic elementary shit, but uh, yeah, I it's mean, in there as well. But it's definitely more of a vibe. It's not. It's it's just a whole vibe that you're just like he's yeah. Well, he seems like on the he, worker side. He has a real sense of. Uh, <laughs> I guess you would call it like empiricism where he just seems to like see like his, his main experience is just like seeing the world and then like interpreting it fairly one-to-one of like, well, yeah. I see this thing and it's like inherent that pe- other people around me suffering is bad. And yeah. My way of interpreting that is to like write a song that basically says other people suffering is bad. Yeah. Or like, for example, the, when he goes to the apricot, probably should, I'm sure you called it an apricot, uh, apricot fields, <laughs> Um, and he was with his apricot he was with his that this particular family and so he's like all right you guys are going to pick a bunch of fruit for them and they're going to get paid um but wait a second looks like the the owner of the field is like actually you know we've got some disputes with the canning company right now and so Mm -hmm. we're just gonna need you guys to sit here for i don't know like a week or 10 days uh, just waiting to get started because we're not going to get started yet. But here's $25, a nice $25 gift card to the company store. Yeah. And therefore putting them in weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of eventual debt, yeah, yeah. Uh, pay, you know, payday loans, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like Woody describes all this and he's like, this isn't fair. <laughs> you know, just it's it sounds so basic, but that's it is it's it is empiricism in that it's like it's just what he sees. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's not making any assumptions or any uh uh, declarations about this stuff that he doesn't necessarily know about, but he has seen a lot of shit, mm-hmm. and so he will he will talk about that. Yeah, and then he's the-, the guy that all folk singers pretend to be. It's like <laughs> yes. it's like I don't know if you guys remember like all the the mythology that came along with the first Bon Iver record, where it's like oh yeah, oh, he went out into the cabin. He, and yeah, the, yeah, like, yeah, oh he 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 got broken up with and his band broke up and he went out to a cabin. Who the fuck cares? I mean, come on, man. <laughs> First world problems. It's like, well, yeah, you, you didn't have fucking dust in your eyes as you're like, you've got zero dollars in your pocket, you know, and just hoping to God that you'll be able to eat tonight. Right. 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 I, and that actually leads me to my next thought, which is something that Molly and I were talking about. We actually recorded an episode earlier tonight um, about SoundCloud rap. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and we were just talking about like the lyrical content of things and like kind of just the general pr- progress uh, of pop music. And this isn't just like just about SoundCloud rap, but it is about the general progress of I guess what I'm calling of, a, of like Woody Guthrie's music, which I'm calling as popular music uh, versus pop music, which we know now, which mm. is, is more of a like a, a, a I don't know, like a production style or anything above all else. But just this slow move over the last 70 years uh, towards solipsism in music and lyrics and representation about the individual, I, you, 
and if it's us, it's about like you and one other person, yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. I, me, the individual versus, you know, Woody Guthrie's songs and the kind of origins of, of the, the stylistic origins of American pop music, which are all like we and yeah. us and they and like, you know, a, a kind of grander sense of inclusivity about what what the experience that you're trying to relay is that that there is very little mm-hmm. I in Woody Guthrie's music. Mm-hmm. And it, when he is talking about I, he is talking about himself in like a, a more universal experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And again, as I was talking at the very beginning, my my kind of anthropological interest in in like that flip or that processing of the American folk music traditions into what we now know as popular music, pop music is kind of the ironing out of the us and we from music into the I and you uh, uh, of music. And that's why I spent so much of this episode with like almost with like a tear in my eye, just thinking about like the, the grand loving universality and, and, and a, attempt to convey uh what he saw as a universal experience directly through his music that is feels revolutionary as opposed to sure. what what we listen to now mhm true yeah. yeah i'll i'll bring up the you know i would say not <laughs> there's a couple people who've been writing in that same sort of collective uh you know here's who we are mindset uh you know like uh, that Halsey song new americana yeah. has anyone heard it you know, uh, we uh, we are the new Americana, high on legal marijuana, raised on Biggie and Nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. There's, you know, I, I feel wow. like any time anyone tries to make like a grand statement about who we are as people, like it, it usually gets boggled down too much in um in something. I don't know what. Yeah, and I, I like before we started recording, I just turned on like some uh, random uh, Woody Guthrie playlist, and the first song was just like a long monologue about working in a mine yeah uh and and you know going underground uh like gopher gophers and and bringing out what's hard in the earth up to the surface and just like how dangerous it is and how dangerous it is and stuff and just like just like imagining (laughs) anyone writing a song now about what it's like to work yeah to actually work and having it have any popular resonance and maybe the second part is the frustrating part because we've been so trained for so long to like literally not care about the experience that almost everyone has to deal with mm-hmm. on their day-to-day basis is like the experience of working and going to a place that you'd rather not be and doing something that you'd rather not do, do yeah. to like get the things that you need to live yeah. that are less than you want them to be. I, I don't know. I, at this point, this seems like a horse I've been flogging for a long time, but that is absent in popular music. We haven't had a good line like... about work since uh, Blink-182 said, work sucks, I know. Yes. <laughs> Deep. Uh, yeah, and I, I've... <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Mark Hoppus did some really hard job down at the mall when he was, you know. 50. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I don't know what his like, experience is, but that is literally the most populous line in popular music in the last 20 <laughs> plus years. Solidarity. Yeah, I mean, there was Springsteen, you know, Springsteen. And I mean, Mellencamp had a whole, uh, his Scarecrow album was all about, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I was born in Chicago, but, you know, I, I'm a Hoosier <laughs> now. And, yeah. uh, you know, I had a whole album about, uh, called Scarecrow about, 
basically about you know the plight of farmers you know in mm-hmm. the eighties when farm when farming began to be very difficult uh, way of living. Um, but I think to the point that, that you were saying, I think today people people use music as escapism. Right. They yes. don't want to have to think about their job. You know, they want to sing about something stupid like drinking or partying or whatever else. Um, or, or like some, somebody else, sometimes some, more deeper things like, you know, love, love, romance, uh, yeah, some yeah, yeah. kind of like sense sure. of universal mystery, but it, it's all still like very individual related, but yeah, 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 go on. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Love songs, of course. And, or if it's a song about someone's struggles, it's gotta be something that's like far away from what they've ever experienced, mm-hmm. you know, like. You know, like white kids listening to hip hop and like yeah. starting to say they're from the streets. It's like, no, you're not, man. You know, just shut up. And, <laughs> you know, that's, you know, they identify with someone else's struggle. Now, Woody was like, he was singing to people who were experiencing the same struggles that he was. Yes. Um, and I mean, he had he has fun songs and he has songs that are are silly and funny. I mean, and not just the kids songs, but he would sing to make people laugh. He would yeah, sing yeah. like, like you were saying to diffuse a bad situation. He would sing positive songs. I mean, really just the whole range of emotion and just like human life, just like captured, just like a regular person's life, just captured in, in, in a collection of songs. Yeah. 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 And, and again, like to, not to, to put too fine a point on it, but just like the difference between like those kind of things and, uh, again, like the SoundCloud rappers that we were just talking about, uh, that me and Molly were just talking about, uh, uh, where th- a lot of these people do come from a very dire circumstances. Yes. But mm-hmm. the the stylistic differences is that the songs are all personal narratives of individual wanting to attain success or right. a description of their own life that, in, that only applies to them, like personal narratives. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, can be pow- very powerful, but it, mm-hmm. it is like the complete era- erasure of the idea of like my personal narrative. I've experienced many met these things, but this isn't a song about my personal narrative. This is a song about the narratives that I share with everyone around me. And it is about their stories more than it is mine, though I, mm-hmm. I know it from living it with them. Yes. Yeah, you know? I think he kind of treated his himself almost like a conduit at times. Yeah. Yeah. Where yeah, like he's like I'm going to be the voice for all of us, you yeah. know. Everyone that's on this box car, everyone who's in this <laughs> this rough and tumble bar, like he's, you know, he's singing for them, about them, you know, and then they're singing along with him. You know? Yeah. It's just yeah, it's like damn, it's just like, you know, I just got goosebumps just then. It's like this is <laughs> this is why you make music He's the first punk rocker, really, is what I'm getting oh, at. Oh, 100%. He's, he's music for the people. And, like, putting essentially putting graffiti on your guitar. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I grew up on, on Green Day, and it's like, then I put stickers all over my bass drum head because, you know, I mean, you got stickers on your guitar, you got stickers, you know, but he's, like, scrawling this, like, a political message on one of his most prized possessions because it's something he just really thought, like, you know, he's up there in front of people this is his his billboard. He's gonna sing about the people, and he's gonna he's yeah. gonna sing against fascists, and he's gonna put it right on his guitar. Yeah, I love it. Also, like he, and especially in the story that he's written, there's no judgment for I would say ninety eight percent of the people he encounters, even if they are a priest who slams uh, the church door in his face, or Drunks you know, and, and a boys. drunk guy yeah, who yeah. broke a. a 
wine bottle over someone's head or even the the dudes he's fighting when he's in his little gang war <laughs> like even those guys it's the only judgment he has is for people who are like p- prejudiced or yeah. fascists <laughs> you know what yeah. i mean like actual he doesn't judge anyone for the way they behave when they are poor because i think he understands that there are a myriad of responses to living in poverty and they're all mm-hmm. acceptable because poverty is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, I think it comes through in his music and I think it comes through in the book and, Oh, it makes me happy. The last thing I will say. Yes. <laughs> is that this land is your land should absolutely be sung at the seventh inning and stretch instead of taking should out be our the ball. National it should anthem. be the national anthem. It absolutely you know, he should. wrote it as a response to God Bless America, a direct yeah. response to the overplaying of Irvin Berlin's God Bless America. God Bless America and doesn't slap. It, it doesn't even slap. <laughs> doesn't bang. It's not a bop. It's not a jam. It's trash. Trash. I mean, this land is your land. Canceled. <laughs> huge, huge bop. And the original title of This Land is Your Land, I actually just found this out as I was scrolling through stuff while we were talking, was originally called God Blessed America. Because oh. it gave it all the riches, and the riches belong to the people who are Americans. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Damn. It's, Damn, Woody. Come on. Yeah, it's beautiful. Damn. Do good. Uh, yeah, and there, there's a sentiment there that that uh, is is wonderful and that song gets relegated as like a kid's tune as I think many of his songs do but it's way more like actually positively universal than any of our shitty ass patriotic songs which are are all fucking terrible war glorifying yeah I have to put on I have to put on on Veterans Day programs every year Um, yes and I try to, you know, I teach I teach the story of the Star Spangled Banner. It's actually a pretty interesting story. Um, and I try to, you know, I'm not gonna like turn a bunch of like rural Indiana kids into into socialists and, and like I, you know, the, our principal will get a, a lot of phone calls. Um, but you know, and the, and there is something about being. Have you guys always lived in New York? No. No. I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm from Vermont. You said Cincinnati. And you're from Molly? Vermont. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, I've always been a Midwesterner, but I I consider myself, even though I grew up in the suburbs, like to the places where where I work, I'm I'm a city boy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've never owned a gun. I would go into another, I would leave the room if anyone, you know, if if someone walked into an establishment with a gun, I would leave. Like, it's just like, this, the place where I'm teaching, okay, so I'm teaching in this town called Pine Village, Indiana, and it is a town of like 300 people. Okay. Okay. So like very, very, very small. And our, our gym, uh, separate from the school, was actually built during uh, the works project is it was built in 1940. It's one of the oldest gyms in uh, Indiana, and it was almost picked for the filming of the uh, the movie Hoosiers. Sure, it was, it was the runner up to uh, to Hoosiers. Right, uh-huh. it couldn't fit quite enough people, and I'll tell you there was something very special to. Um, and we did do this land is your land this year. I don't do it every year, but um, in in a, a gym that was erected during that time during the 40s. Um, with a bunch of these old, just like hard, I mean, these are hardworking Woody Guthrie type guys, the veterans that came out, mm-hmm. you know, the grandpas, you know, the dads and the grandpas. And like there, there is something there. And y- y- you definitely get a different perspective on patriotic songs. And, you know, I'm not thinking about it like, you know, giant 
American flag being, you know, a guy jumps out of a plane and has a giant American flag going down to the <laughs> NFL game. Fan man you parachutes know? in, yeah. Yeah, like, like f- fuck that. Yeah, like, well, it's blaring, you know, some songs blaring over the speakers. Like, this, you know, singing, you know, this line is your land to these guys that they were, they were farmers' kids. They went off and fought a war. They came back and were farmers again. Like, that's, like, it's... Really, like, it felt like the right song to do. This yeah. is my first first year at this school, and it was really like, you know, for them, like this, you know, this guy wrote it for the people, and you guys are like the real. You're you're the real salt of the earth, you know. Yeah, yeah you deserve uh, this song. Yeah, 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 and yeah, and this land is your land. I definitely, do, you know, I tell kids about how you know how Woody Guthrie loved America, but kind of in a different way than a lot of the songs that you've you've heard before. Yeah, yeah, that's a wonderful perspective. It is. Damn, Woody. Damn, Woody. <laughs> really did it. You did that. Well, with all that, with that beautiful perspective in the hope that you can instill some some kind of a, I won't even say communist, you know, communalist yeah. value in, in mm-hmm. the children of America through an appreciation of Woody Guthrie, who just seems like an exceptionally uh, uh, generous, like spiritually generous man. Yes. Uh, let's move confidently into the end of this episode. <laughs> would you like to, would you like to plug anything in particular? Gee, well, gee, I can't think of a single thing. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I have, I have, uh, two podcasts going. Uh, so my, my elder podcast, uh, that's been going for, I think four years now. It's called best Midwestern. These are both through punknews.org. Uh, best Midwestern focusing on rock, punk, indie, uh, kind of stuff, but we've talked about all kinds of stuff from the Midwest. Focusing yeah. on these, what people would refer to as flyover states, you know? Fuck that expression. Yeah. This this is where the real people are. Train right? over. Real people, right. And, train, train uh, over. Train over, right? <laughs> right. Boxcar over country. Hell yeah. Uh, and um, we're about to record, we're, we've been doing a state-by-state project. We just released um, South Dakota and Ooh. we are going to we're putting out uh Wisconsin uh pretty soon we're going to record that on Sunday. Nice. So that's Best Midwestern and um that's on all the podcast thingies. And uh but my my big thing right now that I've been spending all my free time doing <laughs> um when I'm not teaching music, I'm talking about music and it's a uh, this might be a podcast. Uh it's a song by song podcast about the greatest band of all time. Uh, you know, Woody Guthrie, he's a solo artist, so I'm, I'm, he's You're in his own category. Yeah. I'm talking about They Might Be Giants. So uh, they have uh, 800 songs. So maybe by the time I die, they put out three albums last year. It's no big deal. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. They put out a song every Wednesday. They put out an album <laughs> oh, in January. Yes, I remember, I remember the, this project. <laughs> You're going to be doing this podcast forever. Full stop. Pretty much. Pretty much, but I've got get different guests on every episode, and a lot of people want to talk about them, including uh, I'm about to release an episode with uh, Franz Nikolai of the Hold Steady. Awesome, um, very talk good. to him. Yes, I'm um, about to talk to uh, Francis Quinlan from Hopalong. Oh, I oh. love um, them. Love Hopalong. I've I've already released episodes with Hutch Harris of the. So Thermals are you, are you in your Fran series where it's only people named Fran, Franz, Francis? Pretty. Pretty much. Uh, uh, Marco Nuccio. I don't know if you guys know the band Pet Cemetery. Very good pop punk band. Oh, yeah. Drummer, Marcus. And my my biggest get, which the, the one guy that I've had to go through his management for, um, though after talking to him directly on, on, on Twitter DMs, he's like, I don't book my own stuff anymore. It's John Darnell of the Mountain Goats. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's my second favorite band. Wants to talk to me about 
the kids' songs written by my favorite band because his oh. his his kid uh, came up during their their Grammy uh, winning album. Uh, Here come the one two threes. And so, yeah, he wants to talk about the song called Apartment 4 and the song called One Everything. So he's going to do two episodes with me. Wow. And it's nice. like Very a fucking, nice. fucking dream come true. I've also already had the drummer and the bass player of They Might Be Giants on the podcast. Amazing. So wow. It's, it's, it's rolling along. Let's just say Incredible. that. And it's been a lot of work, but it's, start, it's definitely paying off. I'm going to ask uh, uh, Matt Chrisman of Chapa Trap House uh, if he is a uh, uh, They Might Be Giants fan. Uh because it see, given the the bands that he said that he lo- enjoyed during the the nineties two thousands bands like Cake, I feel like he might he might know some sure. TMBG uh, songs. He might be a fan. Mm-hmm. I was just on a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. There's a lot of crossover there too. Ooh, yeah. Um, oh yeah! Wow. Uh, the Bare Naked ABCs. I'm also going to be on the Weird Alphabet podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm, sh- I'm, shockingly. <laughs> We were just talking about Weird Al on the SoundCloud rap episode, if you can believe that. Nice. Uh, talking nice. about how a Weird Al got a, a 10 album deal in like 1981 and how that's <laughs> so like uh, like hilariously uh, incon- inconsistent with like how the music industry works now. Yeah. And then like his last one, Mandatory Fun, how he put out, he got all these different websites to release these different music videos and just how he's totally adapting yeah. Oh, to he, the landscape. He's a, he's a freaking genius. He's, for the second episode in the war, in the row, let's let us sing the praises of Weird Al. He 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 Weird uh, he, Al. he Weird really Al. turned like Weird Al. Weird Al. <laughs> uh, he he really turned uh, a, a very smart but very extremely silly form of music into a l- amazing career. Weird Al the God. I mean, just like gong. like like Woody, like from a different uh, angle, is just a guy that is impossible to not love him. Yeah, like yeah. people who hate Weird Al are are not to be trusted. Yes, <laughs> they are. <laughs> and uh, people who don't, barometer. people who hate Woody Guthrie are probably Republicans. Yes, so. yes, hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> uh, we should get Weird Al on the pod. Yeah, I'll plug all my contacts. I do have a coffee table book uh, autobiography about uh, of his. Um, yeah. Oh, oh uh, fucking Nathan Rabin wrote wrote that book. Oh yeah. Oh, he he man. he's the ghostwriter slash archivist for Weird Al because that's why his life was starting to fall, fall apart, apart when he <laughs> was touring with Fish as well as writing the he's, Weird Al book. Yeah, descending into a period of total mental breakdown as he Weird <laughs> began Al to might write be... the Weird Al uh, coffee. Table once book. once we do enough of these to create a sort of like scatter plot of connected characters, Weird Al very well might be at the center. Yeah, that's a that's a good center. Just like uh, the uh, just like Cincinnati weirdly shows up in like many many dollops. Yeah. <laughs> Dollops uh, on top of your Cincinnati chili. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're uh, thank you. Thank you uh, very much for joining. Yes. Thank you for suggesting uh, this book. Uh, Thanks for having me. That's Greg. Fun. This has been wonderful. Um, I'm going to do the exit patter now, and the exit patter goes like this. <gasps> Follow us on Twitter at and intropod, or send us an email at andintroducingpod at gmail.com. Uh, remember our SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, and while you're there, you should rate and review us too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but only if you like, only uh, if you're going to be positive. Remember, uh, this pod is your pod. This pod <laughs> is our pod. <laughs> From Calipadia <laughs> to the New York Podlands. Oh, God. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from but, the redwood uh, pod yes. podcasts yes exactly <laughs> um 
Anyway, we'll uh, be back with you in another two weeks for another story of artists, music just, scenes. Just being artists. Just being musicians, music in general. Yep. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It brings us together. This has been and introducing. There's a great and a bloody fight around this whole world tonight. In the battle of bombs and shrapnel rain Hitler told the world around he would tear our union down But our union's gonna break them slavery chains And our union's gonna break them slavery chains I walked up on a mountain in the middle of the sky Could see every farm and every town I could see all the people in this whole wide world That's a union that'll tear the fascists down, down, down That's a union that'll tear the fascists down When I think of the men and the ships going down While the Russians fight on across the dawn There's London in ruins and Paris in chains Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million Yanks if it takes them to tear the fascists down, down, down. If it takes them to tear the fascists down. But when I think of the ships and the men going down and the Russians fight on across the dawn, there's London in ruins and Paris in chains. Good people, what are we waiting on? Good people, what are we waiting on? So I thank the Soviets and the mighty Chinese vets, the allies, the whole wide world around. To the battling British thanks, you can have 10 million Yanks if it takes them to tear the fascists down, down, down. If it takes them to tear the fascists down.